0: Here we are. Hey, Matt, how are you? Good to see you.
1: Man, it feels like it's been forever. It is good to see you too. Hope you're well.
0: Yeah, it's been a minute since we've been, I guess, together on an episode, right? I think um, we did a a few recent drops, of course, um, the Tequila Cabal episode, which was a lot of fun with uh, Everardo and and Dustin and met up with Patrick from Bramoir. Uh, and I think in between there, we slid in an episode that we did record together. But anyway, over the last month or so, we've been sort of, uh, you know, working together in tandem, but, you know, in, in sort of different lanes.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, it's been an interesting, uh, you know, six weeks or so. I've had some some business travel and then also, um, I hate to say it, but uh, Rona finally got me, right? So I managed to dodge that for the better part of two years, but... It finally laid me low a few weeks ago. Although I, I, confess, I was, I had mild to moderate symptoms. It wasn't that bad.
0: Well, we're glad to hear that it, you know you were able to get over that, and it didn't take anybody down too hard in the in the household. That's always a, a, a good positive update to hear. Um, and probably you know we're recording sort of I would I would call it off schedule for us in some ways in terms of day and and uh, time of day, but also leads us into sort of a, an abbreviated risk check, port check, I think.
1: Yeah, well, I don't think my my throat's not really up for any kind of spirit or anything like that. I'm I'm literally drinking a uh, a diet sprite right here just because it's kind of soothing. I still do have the the mild persistent cough, so I'm I'm taking it easy on myself today. How about you? Probably, probably a wise
0: decision. I've got an americano here. You know, we've got the um, one of the Brevels at the house. And uh, I, I think I had a, a sort of appreciated espresso and espresso based drinks from afar for the longest time. still do pour overs and uh, I make cold, cold brew uh, in a pitcher quite often. Um, and I've got like an arrow press at the office for sort of, you know, uh, service on the go. But uh, I, I've loved having the, the Breville. We have the touch. I think it's called the Breville Touch. So it's got this uh, touch screen and a lot of settings you can program in and customize. So anyway, uh, when I can, when I have the time, I like to fire that up. And, uh, you know, right now it's an Americano, but have been uh, playing around with the different settings, making flat whites and cappuccinos and and lattes. So, you know, we love our coffee game, too. We don't talk enough about it. I think, you know, you and I have talked uh, offline about incorporating some more coffee based episodes, um, you know, with a focus anyway. Um, On the wrist, uh, Rolex GMT Master 2 16710. Ln, which I think could be quite interesting given our intended topic for the day. Um, I mentioned to somebody recently that I've been doing. Maybe I mentioned it to Patrick on the last episode. I've been wearing one watch per week, essentially, for almost the better part of a month, um, in sort of an effort to uh, not think about it so often. You know, not think about it daily per se, but to be able to just sort of uh, you know wear it throughout a week and give it its paces. Um, really enjoyed doing that. So I started this week with Rolex, although I say that and I think (laughs) Saturday or Sunday, I can't remember which day over the weekend, I think I actually put four different watches on at a given point, which was a strange, uh, high point for me. And it was not intended nor intentional, I guess, but the situation just sort of called for it. So I don't know, I guess I'm all over the place.
1: Well, yeah, during the time that I was off, um, you know, I had several days off for, you know, my... COVID hiatus sojourn, whatever you want to call it. And I found myself, you know, puttering that around the house if I wasn't trying to call and, and talk to people, you know, for work and that sort of thing. And I I probably put on three watches a day, you know, every day for like a week. So you get a little stir crazy, but you're not the only person that does that. I, I heard somebody else recently and I feel bad because I don't know exactly who it is. It, it might have been Buzz on uh whiskey and watches, but made mention of the fact that, you know, he's been trying to do like a a one watch per week. It might have even been a completely different podcast. Well, that, but sounds, that sounds familiar, I think. Yeah. Me
0: mentioning it. And maybe I was sort of like subtly influenced by Jason kind of going um hands-on with the with his seamaster Master, you know, uh Jason Eaton, another uh, kind of foreshadowing here. Um you know he he sort of did his his uh, gosh, what do you do for a month straight? Maybe or maybe longer? So um you know I don't quite have that patience and and sort of have other watches that sort of call my name you know from time to time. But I've been yeah, it's been an interesting exercise to do it, you know, a week at a time and I've kind of enjoyed
1: it. Yeah, I think when um when I'm back and kind of doing my my full work schedule. Well, I am now, but I mean that's really kind of just now starting it back up again. I'm gonna try to make an effort to do that. I don't know about doing 30 days straight, you know, or the so-called the watch fast that some people do, but you know, getting multiple days in a row and really getting to enjoy and observe accuracy and you know, having something on the wrist, you know, f- for more than just one or two days at a time, might not be a bad idea. Just from a discipline standpoint, make myself enjoy
0: everything. I haven't worn my Grand Seiko in probably a month. Wow, yeah, that's a tough one. I would imagine to leave off the wrist, but I know you have uh, quite a few interesting options. So, what's on your wrist right now, by the way?
1: So today, this is one of these, uh, you know, on loan from a bro. Files. Um, I don't know if we'd call this like a formal watch swap debrief. Uh, watch. But I mean, it could be because I've had it now for a few weeks. I um, actually picked this up right before I got sick. Um, but I, I got this from our buddy, Mike Heyman. Uh, Mike has been a guest on the show twice. He was one of our inaugural guests. And then we also had him on for you know a quick debrief on his role working with Cole Pennington to bring to light, right. The story of that unknown space watch that previously flown Movado of all things, they kind of. Right. an illustrious,
0: a double grad, a double graduate actually from spirit of time.
1: That's right. That's right. So Mike, as you know, um, you know, has a pretty significant collection and I went over and he, I went over with the, the intent to borrow this watch. And this is the, the nomenclature on this is, is not the easiest. It's almost like Seiko here. So this is the Omega Seamaster 300, not to be confused with the 300M. This is more like the 300 Heritage, that's what they'd call it on the website. And this is the, you know, straight lug kind of wedge indices with the 12, 3, 6 and 9, you yeah. know, as the the cardinal numerals. And this is the latest version. So this is the one that came out last year. It's slightly more svelte than the outgoing version. Visually, like it, it looks pretty much the same, but the small details—you know—and the devil's in the details. The small details are different. Um, this one has, a, like, what they're calling a true sandwich dial, mm-hmm. and that includes not just the indices but also the numerals themselves. So, the past version of this watch, the numerals were uh, printed. And on this one it's um like Panerai style albeit a smaller font. It's visually it's very cool. I have a few issues, but I it's mean it's watch. Yeah, it's it's a really cool watch and right now I have it on the um you know the two line uh not the regimental bond NATO but the more traditional, you know, gray and black bond NATO strap and it's just it's a, such a stunner on this strap and I'm just totally like you know feeling my inner 007 walter mitty you know uh full like potential here with this watch on it's it's awesome
0: so you have to are you going to do uh sort of a, a more elaborated set of thoughts on it and reactions or are you sort of, still sort of in the uh kind of you know the intel acquisition phase
1: yeah you know it's more of the latter i mean it may be that I'll talk more about it. I mean, I definitely have thoughts about it. I have thoughts about this watch as it pertains more to the various brands that I like. Um, but this watch was very specifically the one I asked him to borrow. And again, thank you, Mike, uh, because I'm I'm leaning toward a version of this watch for myself. And I just wanted to kind of try it for form factor because I, I have a 300M, as you know. And um, I mean, arguably, that's one of the best watches I have and have ever had uh, you know, in, so I don't know if, if this would displace that or if it would kind of measure up to that, um, the 300 M are some pretty big daily driver sports wash shoes to fill.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: And so I just, I wanted to see how this would really feel like, you know, and get a sense like, okay, can I do this? And, and would it be something that I would wear a lot?
0: Yeah. Well, we're excited to hear sort of how you report back on that and, how it may or may not influence, you know, some upcoming uh, decisions and and uh, ideas that maybe are sparking in your head.
1: Yeah, you know what, and I mean, I tell you what, I we've talked about it before, so I won't, you know, be too coy about it or anything. I mean, I think at some point there's um, the possibility of maybe, you know, liquidating, I think a few pieces and doing something and stealing gold. And we've kind of joked around about one of the Seamasters as being leading contenders. You know for steel and gold so whether that's a, a 300m and steel and sedna let's say or you know this 300 heritage in you know steel and yellow or steel and sedna or whatever but i just wanted to see how this watch felt on wrist to get a sense because i i've already know that i would like the 300m in steel and gold
0: yeah I think it, to be able to experience it for you know more than maybe just handling it even a sh- in a showroom, and some people don't even have that opportunity, right? Because they have to make a decision. You talked about that a little bit with with Patrick. I, I, you know, I'm sure you had a chance to catch up on the chat we had with with him and and how you know certain brands have been associated with sort of direct to consumer. And and I shared just like all of us, most of us have, I should say, that you know we bought watches sight unseen and, and they show up on the doorstep, and and you hope that's what, <laughs> what you had in your mind, but you don't always know and. To the effect that you can put it on wrist, experience it, wear it out and about, kind of get the the user experience before making a decision like that. It's invaluable.
1: Yeah, it really is. I mean, I think you say we've all done it, and I'm I'm sure eventually all of us, if you haven't already been, you will be burned by it. You know, I I had to do a uh, my first Grand Seiko, basically sight unseen. I ordered it in and purchased it, and after a while, I realized it was just too low contrast for me. Yeah, and yeah. you know, I I would have been very happy. I think getting the exact same watch, but with a black dial yeah. instead of a silver dial. But I had a lot of black dial experience, and figured, hey, let's try something different. And that was a mistake. I wish I had been able to handle that watch or test drive it. So this has been a boon for me. So again, thanks, Mike.
0: Speaking of high contrast, maybe high speed, uh, get a chance to. To I, I have to imagine I know the answer to this. Watch the. Uh, Grand Prix of Miami.
1: Oh man, I think the better question is, did you watch the Grand Prix of <laughs> Miami? The better
0: question. You know what? I did. Uh, so, but I have to be fully. I have to be. You know, I have to come fully clean. I watched uh, a lot of the pre-race uh, uh, on the day that on the day of, um, and watched the first couple laps go off, and then got pulled away uh, to do a few things. I had to take care of a few other things, so. But I am proud to say that I tuned in live for my very first F1 race. I got a chance to experience sort of the, you know, and, and this is an interesting one, I think. i be really curious to hear your thoughts and, and others too. Miami is probably much different you know, from what I re- read and gathered and some reactions that I, I kind of cobbled from around the internet than, than maybe a lot of the other races, particularly uh, you know the American races, I guess if that's the best com- comparison. But um, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, there was a lot of pomp and circumstance, and uh, by all accounts, you know, not that it really matters, but by all accounts, it seems like everybody was quite pleased and, uh, and and pretty pretty really just generally stoked on the whole day.
1: Yeah, I mean that's my impression too. Uh, you know, spoiler alert. Yes, I did I did watch it. I try to watch pretty much every race that I can. Um and I think the the interesting thing is not so much right what I think of it because I've I've been into F1 for a long time and and motorsport more generally. So I do watch this and I have an idea. I think the the more interesting topic is what somebody like you and we've talked about this before right in the past. Um it's. I think it's even been sort of our final notes and recommendations. The whole Netflix phenomenon and what that has done drive to survive that property. What that's done to Formula One enthusiasm here in North America in the United States, and how it's turned people like you who just saw you know maybe this thing like hey recommended for you starting one or two seasons ago and now all of a sudden it puts the hook in you and how many millions of times has that been sort of replicated as a case around the country and i think you're proof that it it can work it is working um and i think it was really fantastic i think one thing that's kind of interesting i mean i rolled my eyes at it a little bit but it seems to me that the powers that be in in formula 1 and fia and the media very much um Set the goal of having Miami immediately rival Monaco. Hmm. Monaco is not a particularly great race anymore, and as a, as a race itself it's no more important than anything else uh, but it is the event of the year on the Formula One calendar I mean and it's certainly an interesting race because it's so historic and you know the venue has largely been the same and it's it's just such a different kind of an environment it's like the the ultimate street race because it's so tight. But what makes Monaco Monaco is, as you said, right, the pomp and circumstance, the royalty that presides over it, the fact that- From a blue that- blood
0: perspective, right, where maybe Miami is oh. a little more flash and a little more, right, like new world, new, new, nouveau riche kind of you know, perspective.
1: Oh, yeah, 100%. Although you know, you'd, you'd certainly find all of those people, or at least a lot of them, who, were, who went to the race in Miami, a lot of those people will be or would have been at Monaco, so I think they they clearly are trying to do that. It's really transparent. I don't know if I agree with that or not. I kind of do. You know. So but, I guess my question for it, you I But it you worked.
0: About this. Yeah, right. You told me about this. I think either off air or maybe on our our preview episode when you jumped on with um the whiskey and watches crew and, and some other friends. Um does Martin Brundle know who the people are when they're in Monaco or does he not know who they there who they are over there either?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, historically the gridwalk, you know, has been um it's it's mostly been the drivers, the principals, yeah. maybe some of the important engineers and a few, you know, hangers on. And it would be maybe one or two people that were, you know, like quote unquote, you know, stars or media or whatever. Sure. Um, but now it's like the vast majority of people on the grid are these people that like you have you had better be like, you know, a, a Gen Z millennial type and you better be plugged into social media and pop music and modern, you know, sports and stuff like that. Because that otherwise the grid walk is just gonna be a disaster. You know, the number the drivers that he had interactions with were kind of few and far between. Otherwise, everybody was, you know, social media mavens and the the most approachable guy you know that he he saw and made contact with and i don't know if you saw this but um, it was and i may mess this up but but i think it was either it was either bahrain or maybe qatar but i mean yeah, it was like the i think it was i think it was like the crown prince of bahrain who looked like the most normal guy just, you know, basically a a upper middle class punter walking the grid. And he's like, oh, you know, Prince so-and-so. They had the best conversation because, yeah. you know, he's an F1 guy. They know each other, I'm sure, from all the different circuits they see each other at and from the race venues. But otherwise, poor Martin Brundle is just a total fish out of water. And none of these celebrities have any idea who they're talking to either. They have no idea that that guy is as legit as it gets. I know, I, know. I you it, know.
0: It vacillated between like sort of humorous and and kind of cute to like totally cringeworthy. Well, it, was, <laughs> it was really something.
1: It was so sad how much more self-aware he was about how bad it looked. Yeah. Um. You know, in the past, it's the kind of thing you just sort of chuckle at. And in my mind, I'm like, oh man, bring back Will Buxton because that guy was the master. And, right, you know, right. the gridwalk, and I don't know if you know who he is. He works for f one now, but he used to be the NBC Gridwalker color commentary guy, and he was just much more plugged in. He was a younger guy and just you know more high speed with social events and and stuff that's on trend. and yeah, anyway,
0: well, it'll be fascinating to see I think I read somewhere, and I think this to me this was a really nice way to sum it up, especially in the context of your question, right Is it really a thing in the u s now? you know, is this the peak, right? Like, is this peak F1 in America? You know, Miami, we've got two to three, three races now, give or take, right? Miami was this big, huge, absolutely had to be there sort of social event. Is this the peak? Or is this sort of a a major milestone and sort of a continued upward trajectory? And I think that'll be fascinating to look back on in one, two, five, seven years.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the short answer this is not the peak. Um I think there's definitely still some some growth. I think it'll be interesting to see how the economy, you know, um fares in the next 2 to 3 years and how that treats the sport, but there's a lot they can do virtually. But Las Vegas is coming next year and I mean Las Vegas has the potential to eclipse Miami. You know, for for just sheer glitz and and showmanship and all that stuff. Um so we'll have to see how it goes, but I thought it was a great race. It was a, a a fun thing to watch. And it was made more fun by the fact that I, um, in, in the days following, this was super cool. Um, IG pal and, and podcast supporter. I was actually on with him on the whiskey and watches F one episode with Josh Shanks and, um, Spence. But, uh, M Pandolfo, Pandolfo is what they always call him on the other the other pods, was kind enough to hook me up with a, a McLaren team shirt from the venue. So Pandolfo, thanks, man. You're you're a good dude. I appreciate you hooking that up. And uh yeah, that's it's definitely made my week, especially feeling kind of under the weather to have that arrive. So Yeah, it's you well.
0: You look good. I think you're ready to be in the pits yourself.
1: Yeah, man, I can change some tires. I definitely need to lift more weights though and, and get bigger because the, the wheel tire assembly now is massively heavy compared to what it used to be.
0: So there was a pretty, it seemed like at least a pretty heavy, um, representation of the watch you know, industry or community right throughout the the weekend. Obviously the big news when IWC dropping the sort of, uh, you know, the team issued, um, pilots chrono, um, you know, there seemed like there was a lot of events and a lot of things that were sort of staged throughout the the days and uh, leading up to, and it was a, it was kind of fun from a watch community perspective too.
1: Yeah. I mean, what I, what I heard from people who were out and about in Miami, uh, um, all through that week, the week leading up. And then of course the, the actual race weekend is that like by far the dominant and I didn't see it, so I don't know, but what I heard was that by far the dominant, like meat, not media, what's the word I'm looking for? Like advertising presence was IWC. It was, you know, they obviously,
0: you know, uh, uh circled the date on the calendar, um, released the watch. I mean, it only makes sense that they were going to, you know, really fill the airwaves. Um, so I imagine they were trying to, you know, get the biggest bang for their buck. And I think they probably accomplished that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me ask you, I didn't tell you, I was going to ask you this, but so what did you think of the watch? Did you see the team watch?
0: Oh, I think it's cool as hell. Um, you know, it's it's objectively speaking, I think it's beautiful. I think it's really fun play on colors. Um, you know, it's a tried and true uh, design. So, I mean, it's you know, there's nothing really to sort of uh, you know dissect from that perspective, except of course the new coloration. It's probably really fun and a cool idea that it's not limited. You know, if you're a quote unquote fan of Lewis, uh, you know, a fan of you know Mercedes um, or just maybe just F1 in general, IWC, um, you should be able to get it. Right. I think, you know, from what I understood, you know, it's not going to be, you know, limited run of, you know, limited edition, 100, 500, even a thousand or whatever. And all of a sudden people who really wanted to experience it or be a part of it can't. So that was cool. I think it's awesome. I think it's fun. I think the colors, I imagine, you know, obviously they're, 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 they're for the team, but uh, it just plays so well in Miami. I can't imagine that they didn't circle that date and think to themselves, this just works, right? These are Miami colors. This is, this is team colors. Like this is a new thing, a new color way for us. Um, so I think, you know, from a marketing perspective, I thought they did a really nice job, um, at that price point, it's a little niche for me, you know, in terms of like, you know, what I could or would wear it with. And so, you know, I'm not sure that I'm exactly the market for it, but you know, if the price wasn't a consideration, I think that thing's awesome. I would consider picking it up for sure
1: yeah I'm really glad they didn't do it in the big pilot format. I mean, I think that's cool for the drivers and the principal and whatever I know that's like the flagship pilot watch, but I think doing the uh you know the pilot chrono was the way to go. I kind of like the colors um initially, I was like, oh, I don't know, but the more I saw it, I was like, Hey, that's cool. I think you're right. I think people did they were able to purchase it if you know retail like in the days leading up to it. Because I'd I'd heard a number of people saying they saw people walking around, you know, cool. who did not, you know, not uh, affiliated with, you know, AMG, Mercedes, Petronas, who were wearing the watch. So clearly, retailers had it, which I think is cool. I wonder, and the reason I ask you this is we've both seen um, Chase and our friend Summer summer Eskimo with that little, you know, that old Benris with the little, you know, uh, Mercedes logo and you, you were on the hunt for, you know, the Corvette one, right? Yeah. How, how cool would it have been if they just had somewhere very low key on the dial, just, you know, the little, you know, Mercedes, like, you know, tri-pointed star logo, um, you know, maybe, maybe in that Miami Hurricanes orange, or something yeah. like that. Oh, I don't know.
0: That's interesting. That's too close to McLaren though, right? Um, yeah, maybe
1: that's, well, this is papaya, you know, that's, oh, sorry, I think papaya. that's what they call it. Yeah. Papaya. No,
0: this is probably it's, a topic for another, another day, so I'm not going to get too deep into it, but dial side, um, dial side references to collaboration seem to not really be in, in vogue. You know, if you look at back, back in the day, you know, whether it was a retailer, you know, or some sort of collaboration or, or, you know, just even promotional stuff, like all the, you know, role, you know, air King dominoes, it, it's not really, people don't really do dial side stuff like that anymore. I, I don't know.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of them do, um, in retrospect, like with the fullness of time, they're, they're fails. Yeah. Yeah. You I'm know, totally. you know that is, I, I know that they're sort of quirky and collectible, but like, I'll, you'll never convince me that the air King with the dominoes logo on it looks good. There you go. It's, yeah. um, I'd, I'd take one because it's unusual or the one you know with the cannabis leaf or whatever. But otherwise, yeah, I, I could take it or leave it.
0: You know what I could take? Talk to me. A spirit of time collaboration beer.
1: Yeah. So we've been saying, we've been hinting at the idea that we would tease this a little bit. Why don't you walk us through this? Because this is, I mean... Um, a bit of a record scratch for a topic change. But at the same time, uh, we've we've been working on this for a while and I think it's, it's enough of the details are in place that we're about 99.9 that it's moving forward. So why don't we say something?
0: Yeah, I, I've been excited. I've, I've mentioned it, I think even off air a few times recently, just some guests and things. Um, it's been sort of this desire of ours to do something fun outside of the box, um, but also sort of... Sh- strangely completely on brand right so you know there's lots of things that we could do and and we've talked about them. Other, you know some other pods and and groups have done it and it would fit for us maybe cool things to share with guests or 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 kind of special supporters right coasters and maybe a shirt or something all kinds of cool stuff but how cool would it be and we talked about this from early on to do a collaboration beer because we both love brews uh and especially with somebody, you know, we really appreciate and respect, like our good friends at, at Overtown, um, brewing in Monrovia, uh, California. And so that's coming together and it's really cool to say that out loud. Right. And so, you know, we can talk maybe a little bit about what we know about the details at this point, but it's, it's really touched a few different people and we don't need to get into the specifics of who, but you know, we, we've sourced the barrel and uh, we're thankful, you know, for that. It's a new riff barrel. Um, and, and, we got that over to our, our friends at Overtown and, you know, if everything kind of goes according to plan, I do believe we'll have, uh, an Amber ale barrel conditioned in a bourbon barrel. And, uh, and, and part of that is going to be peeled off, um, for spirit of time and, and sort of friends and, and supporters. And, and the whole goal is I think to be able to bring people together to sort of, you know, Enjoy it together at some point, you know, and, and in the not too distant future. So it might be a chance to say hi to people in person, crack uh, crack one of these um, kind of special edition um, beers open. Overtown, everything they do is incredible. We talked about them several times, um, and so it's nice to be able to to engage them in a really meaningful way, and and maybe you know continue to raise awareness for the for kind of the cool and great work that they're doing. And uh, and man, I can't think of a cooler thing to do. But then to make a collaboration beer, it's 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 incredible.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the the only thing more next level than that would be a collaboration tequila. But I think, you know, beer is a good starting place for us. And frankly, that's probably a little bit more in my wheelhouse, my alehouse, if you will.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely it is. So we don't have all the details yet. We don't have uh sort of release date or uh or or sort of the, the particulars on, on the production. We're still working through that with uh with the good people over at Overtown. They're being so kind to allow us to to participate with them in this way i mean come on let's be honest they're doing all the hard work and we're sort of you know supporting in a in, in whatever way we can um but and i'm hopeful we haven't gotten through this part but we'll just say it out loud i'm hopeful that when that can rolls out and it's got some sort of you know a spirit of time moniker on there or some sort of identification and we could crack one open with a few people that maybe listen to the pod who who are able to to join us you know in in the socal area that's gonna be a really cool feeling and uh and it's just gonna be really uh just kind of full circle on you know why we i guess started doing this you know what was about 14 months ago right to talk about watches and and uh and connect with people and and talk about spirits and and beer and, and just all kinds of fun things that we do you know with our watches so pretty
1: cool yeah, well, if we've sort of alluded to this a time or two in the past, right, that this the whole podcast project is as much as anything it was kind of a placeholder because what we really wanted to do or what we thought we really wanted to do like 2 years ago when we started talking was to to host a regular get-together in San Gabriel Valley. We're kind of ignored out here. And um, you know, there's a lot of people and a lot of watch enthusiasm here and frankly I don't I don't like to drive to West LA all the time uh, to go to the get togethers and and things like that. And, you know, how cool would it be if at the end of the day we have a collaborate beer, a collaboration beer, um, you know, that we can launch at some kind of get together, you know, whether we do it at one of the breweries or, or what have you. So that's just, that, that is a lot of fun. There's a lot of potential at the very least it can be gifting four packs to people all over Southern California. You know, I think, um, there were NATO straps with the little red and white B floating around. Um, you know, that, that was something Brodinky did. And maybe our answer to that will be, you know, a killer four pack of like uh, a bourbon amber that you can have on a hot day.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. So we'll get more details and, you know, we'll be really clear about it. This is not sort of like a, this is not a a, a business or a, a revenue generating, you know, line item for for this. You know, I think we're going to hopefully be able to cover some costs, but, you know, we're, we're happy to. To sort of you know kickstart this and and share it with people, and so we'll be really clear about it, but uh, and, and we'll have more details to share, and hopefully people can join us in person, and uh, and and when we have more to to sort of point to, and and we can share about how it was made and how long it rested in barrels, and and sort of what the flavor profiles are, and it'll be a, a very interesting and proud pour check at that
1: point. Yeah, totally. Yeah, hashtag lost leader, but it'll yeah. be
0: fun. That's what we're doing it for. Well, hey man,
1: um, we've got a little bit. I don't even know if we'd call it a main topic per se. We've got something kind of teed up, but I, I did have something that we forgot to chat about a second ago, and that is I've actually
0: got a uh, a new watch alert here, man. I think that's during, I know. you know you've you shared it with uh, a few of the the threads, um, and uh, maybe well, maybe you've even posted it by this point too. You may have that's right. So I know it's been making its rounds, but we haven't had a chance to talk about it, uh, you know, more than just exchanging messages. So I'm excited to hear about this.
1: Yeah, man. So this um this was something that actually happened. I, I know a few people have seen this and I've I've definitely been wearing it a bit lately. This is something I've had now in my hot little hands for I guess probably about a week or two, maybe. Um, but this is a and it's not a new watch. This is actually a fairly humble, like uh reference 7002 sort of neo-vintage Seiko diver. It's basically think of it as the thing before the SKX. So I have not talked about too many people. You you know about this. Um, not too many people know about this, but I actually and I'm not going to discuss the details. But um, I uh, basically lost a number of watches. Not a ton, and nothing nothing super valuable. But I, I basically had a, a case that was stolen, and I had a couple of my you know SKXs and mods and stuff like that in this case. Probably honestly, dollar wise, the the case was worth almost as much much as the watches were initially. But you know, over time a like new condition SKX double O nine, you know, that I've got for probably a hundred bucks years ago. Um, that's not an easy thing to replace now. And I've really been feeling the lack of that, you know, that really basic kind of wobbied Pepsi Seiko. Um, cause they, they got my other Pepsi Seiko as well, bastards. And, uh, so I've just been sort of on the lookout, um, and it just so happened. I mean, I, I had some communication with an, another of the pod alum, our buddy Jason Heaton, and you know, uh, Jason had talked about this watch on and off, and I think this is one of the watches that he took to Sri Lanka. Um, I, I if I close my eyes, I can kind of imagine that it still smells like ceylon tea or maybe some curry or <laughs> something. but, uh, yeah, so I I basically I bought this watch off of Jason. That is the long story short. So thank you, Jason. He was kind enough to get that to me in in short order, and I just I put this thing right on a Vintager um, military canvas. This is sort of the the USMC, you know, digital Marpat, you know, desert. I think they call it AOR one, um, you know, pattern, and it is just super super cool, and it just basically ticks all the right boxes for a cool old Seiko that is still modern enough to be easily serviced, you know, the thing runs like a champ. Um, you know, Jason was kind of alluded to the fact that the timekeeping isn't the greatest and on these things it's it never is. I'm happy if it's, you know, 45 seconds to a minute or so. And on wrist that's what it's been. Yeah. You know, um I hack it forward about a minute or so every maybe 5 or 6 days when I was wearing it. So it, you know, it wasn't crazy off. Um, a little different from the more modern watches in that this is a time and date watch, not a time and day date watch. Most of the the SKXs, SRPs, et cetera. Maybe not the SRPs, the uh, yeah, no, SRP. Sorry, I was thinking of SPB. Damn you, Seiko, in your your nomenclature. But the, you know, most of the the lower end movements are day date movements for them. And this is nice. It's just, it's a lot less cluttered if you can see. This is the one that has the, the indices are um, printed blocks instead of, you know, printed circles or raised circles. And it's just got that cool kind of old, vaguely, you know, dot mill adjacent, you know, vibe. It just, it seems very, you know, like a beer on the dock after fishing, you know or in my case you know uh, uh getting sweaty in the backyard doing you know yard chores and and stuff like that so just very happy to have something like this back at a, at a very reasonable price and um yeah these watches are great kind of undiscovered country and i love the old you know 80s maybe early 90s um like the the dial layout, the look, you know, instead of it's got the old print basically, you know. So this is the water resist is kind of on either side as the word mark in sort of the red color. You know, the 150 meter resist. Um, although it doesn't say re- yeah, no, it does actually resist. I'd not proof there's different dial variations. But it's just a su- super cool watch. Glad to have it. And yeah, so this is this has oddly been my cheapest and to a certain extent, like most satisfying yeah. uh, new watch alert in a long time. I, um, you know, it sounds a little humble braggy or whatever. So I don't talk about it a lot, but I used to have another one of Seiko's uh, a big Seiko that I got from Jason years ago. And this was, you know, before, um, you know, it was maybe in the gear patrol days, but you know, before Hodinky was big and all that. And it was, you know, we we're just four um, acquaintances and, uh, I made the mistake of letting that go. It was just too big a watch, and I was just so happy to get another one. You know, it's it's honestly, it's a fun provenance because you know he's I wouldn't say we're friends, but we're friendly. you know we we support each other's efforts. He's been a, a good inspiration, I think, to me and to us. And uh, yeah, it's just fun to have something like that that's you know done some neat stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. it's awesome. Congratulations on the pickup. It's sweet. Um, I think it's going to be, you know, like you said, a really fun wear all throughout the summer and beyond, of course. And, um, you know, it kind of ticked a lot of the boxes that you were hoping for and what a better place for it to come from. And, you know, quite frankly, uh, you know, basically just got a plane ticket back to the States and, and then out to you.
1: Pretty much. Yeah. And that's, I think that was about the speed with which that transpired too. So it was cool.
0: Congrats, man. It's awesome. I love it.
1: Yeah, totally. Well, hey, I guess the the thing we wanted to talk about today, I mean, and I know we approached today's episode not being super structured just because it it feels like I've been unplugged for the better part of a month other than just um you know, doing the editing on the the episodes that you've done solo, which have been great by the way. But uh I wanted to say like having this watch, this Omega from Mike, and especially the experience of going to, to Heyman's place and checking out his Omega collection. And it's, you know, it's, it's extensive. You know, he's got the Sedna Speedmaster and he's got the, you know, the LE Bond Seamaster that was released, you know, a year or so ago with uh, no time to die. Uh, He's got, I want to say he's got a uh, first Omega in space in, in full gold. He's just got all this stuff that's interesting and it's really cemented the notion for me that at this point like time of death on modern Rolex in my imagination I think is like right now. Modern Omega I think is is just better, more interesting and ironically at the same time more approachable than Rolex and I wonder what you think of that proposition.
0: Well, I think you made a comment. Essentially, maybe this was the seed um, to we I'm sure you've been thinking this for a while, but this was sort of the uh, uh the public you know um, uh, sort of planning of the flag right He made a comment over the weekend, basically you know modern omega is is better than modern rolex uh, I don't think I'll disagree at all um you know you've anybody that's been listening or or following along or, or having conversations with us on the sidebar, you know all the Omega stuff coming up has dominated the conversations we've had. There's been very little discussion about modern Rolex other than sort of maybe some gripes or some reactions which are you know you have to sort of do these days right I mean it's the elephant in the room you can't not talk about it at, <laughs> at some point so but the I guess what I'm trying to get around to is everything that we've liked and has really been like whoa that's something we really gotta get our hands on or I'm really you know maybe I'm really thinking about this one or would I'm You know, move some things around to get over to the. It's all been Omega uh, in terms of these two brands that we're talking about. It's all been Omega. the 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 the, the scale's been tipped in Omega's favor uh, quite noticeably and quite heavily. Um, There's probably a lot of reasons for that. I think I'm just gonna. You can just start jumping into them. I think one is they're just awesome. The tech is there. Um, we talked about it before. I think Omega has been a leader in, in technology kind of, you know, in tech and, and jam packing them into the, you know, their pieces for a while now. So the tech is, is, is awesome. You're not sacrificing anything there. Quite frankly, the designs are awesome. They're, they're sometimes they're vintage inspired. Sometimes they're wholly new and modern. Um, sometimes people might say that they follow some trends and I think that it'd be silly for them not to quite frankly. I mean, what are we, what are we talking about here some band that somebody doesn't want anybody else to know about they only want them to stay underground for them forever I mean Omega is a huge you know uh, storied brand of course they're going to do some things that are on trend and quite frankly they've been really fantastic too I'm thinking exactly of of, of the of aquaterras recently that people were pointing out for the for the ops you know in terms of the the color dials so you've got the tech you've got the you know some vintage design you've got some new modern interpretations you got some things that are on trend they're gonna be really nice for people, you know, who might make it their only watch or 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 wanted to jump into something that they couldn't elsewhere. And um and then also we'd be remiss not, I'd be remiss not to say that I think they're they're gettable. They're obtainable uh, from a few different, you know, perspectives. One maybe price point depending on your station. And then two, I think you can walk into a store, an AD, a boutique and you could pick a lot of these things up which might seem trivial and, and, and when you say it out loud it seems really silly to say. But that's the truth, and, and it's not a it's not a well. I wanted this, but I got that mentality. It's I can go get this because I really like it, and that that I think gives it another bonus point. So, just a couple quick reactions.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly right. You know, you talk about the technology, and when I think about what the the watch is, the brands were doing with their watches and and the different platforms, like the main you know, sort of the flagship offerings in each family. So like, you know, the, the Seamaster, the Speedmaster, whatever. Um, granted the Speedmaster I think is getting a, a shot in the arm technologically in the past year or two as well. But I mean, the Speedmasters, the Planet Oceans, that sort of thing with, um, you know, master coaxial metas, a lot of really anti-magnetic and a materials, longer power reserves. Um, granted they are I'm I'm sure they are mostly machine done but you know the decoration was quite good um you know for the the watches where you could see through the case back you know compared to Rolex which is even more minimal and agricultural and you know it feels to me like the the modernization that Rolex has done in the past like 5 to 10 years um I'm sure they would never say this but it seems like they have to compete with Omega now and you know, it's, they're finally kind of, you know, getting, um, up to speed on, you know, material science and, you know, using, uh, uh, basically stuff that Omega has been doing for a while and seeking out like longer power reserves and, and a magnetism as a, as a feature that's really important. And it is, I mean, especially in the modern era, I mean, everywhere you go, I'm probably within, you know, easy arms reach right here on my desk. I've got any number of objects, you know, from phones, computers, microphone speakers, you know, where there's magnets, um, you know, there's, there's stuff that can mess up your watch, you know, that uh, with an Omega, you just don't really have to worry about. And to a certain extent with Rolex, you don't either now, but I think the designs are just frankly, more compelling. There's more interesting things happening with them.
0: There is. There are much more interesting things happening. That's, that's, I think, now someone could certainly disagree, but to you and me, that's a pretty objective opinion, you know, objective thing. They're just more interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of these, I don't think it's for me, but um, I finally have seen a few of these things now in the wild and on people's wrists, not just, you know, on a, uh, in a print um, render or at the case at the AD, but I've seen. The bronze, gold, Seamaster, you know, out and about—that thing's bitching. I mean, that's yeah. that's really, really cool. And the idea that it's like, okay, it's not 18 karat. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. It's basically half of that—that that gold content. Although, I mean, I I guess it's still a huge chunk of the remainder is going to be, uh, you know, palladium and silver and and copper. I mean, it's still semi precious and precious metals. It's just it's different, and it's not meant to be. Uh, you know, something that's like what you get with Rolex, but at the same time, it's just, it's cooler. I don't know how to, how I don't know how else to describe it. That's it's just, just cooler. Yeah. I mean, it, in
0: some ways, you know, I think Rolex has become sort of the poster boy for watch conversation, especially among people newer to the hobby, or even if they've been doing it for a long time and they're really passionate about Rolex, but it's been sort of this sort of poster boy, right? For unavailability sort of, you know, maybe, uh, um, not very progressive design, you know, iteration over, you know, the course of several years, um, and sort of, you know, maybe a stodginess. Right. And listen, I mean, you know, we're talking about switch, you know, Swiss watch company. So I'm not, I'm not suggesting that Omega is, you know, ahead of the times in regards to these things, but they're just operating a different frequency. And I think one that really people like you and me, and a lot of folks that we talk to are hearing and, um, I just think it works. You know, it's the easy comparison to say Omega versus Rolex. You and I have talked about this before. And in in, off, in some ways it feels lazy, um, but it's the most apt one because I think they're two of the brands that have probably the largest sort of brand awareness, especially for maybe the casual watch collector or maybe a casual style and fashion person. They probably, they definitely know Rolex, right? We, we know what sort of brand equity they have. Um, but, uh, and I know it's not apples to apples, but they, they probably know Omega. It's been around long enough. It's it, they, They're in the Olympics, they, James Bond. Um, there's enough there to sort of make it a sort of easy enough, you know, comparison. Um, in a lot of ways, you know, it, it, it works. In some ways it doesn't. But I think for this particular conversation, this is where we wanted to take it. Uh, I'm an unintentional sort of Omega fan, you know, these, these last few years. When I first got my... Railmaster, my 2503. So that, that was the first Omega that I owned. Um, that is a, you know, a, a reissue sort of Neo vintage, I guess, early two thousands. And, um, I thought that'd be the only Omega that I owned. I said, okay, I'm good. You know, I'm, I, I want to go explore other, other things, other brands, other, you know, it, other, you know, just other stuff. And I think that's also maybe a normal part of, of, sort of, of watch, you know, this watch journey. And, um, and then I got enamored by my my Seamaster, my Cosmic 2000, had to have it, was just obsessed with it. So I finally tracked it down. I'm like, okay, I'm now I'm good on Omegas. I'm not going to, don't need any more Omegas. And then I just got the DeVille, <laughs> the DeVille Prestige, the yellow gold. And uh, and I'm like, wow. I mean, if, you're, if your purchase history or your sort of acquisitions don't tell enough of a story, even if you're telling yourself your own story in your head, I mean, <laughs> the proof is right there in your watch box, right? I'm like, okay, I'm an Omega person and that's that.
1: Yeah, I think it's, you know, it seems to me like you're exactly like me, where my appreciation for the brand has kind of grown because of my appreciation for the individual watches and the models that I've liked. And then you start to see them as like, okay, there's this succession of things that are awesome. Uh, Whereas for me, Rolex is uh, Explorer 2, GMT, any flavor, including six digit. I'm fine with that. Um, And that's about it. I mean, I, I I get it. I recognize that the sub is a big deal and I, I do like the Sea Dweller, um, but that's that's it. I mean, really the only, um, I guess, variation on the theme there is, well, okay, uh, for the subs and or the GMT, do you, do you get them in gold or stealing gold or just steal or what? But otherwise, that's all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I might even, I, if I was going to be really honest, I might even hone down even further. I'd probably eliminate the six digit, six digit GMTs for myself. And uh, we'll probably just really, you know, we probably just really focus on the Explorer Two um, At this point, if I was, you know, looking at modern Rolex and then, you know, looking backwards, there's a ton of interesting stuff. Um, but I still appreciate the new things on other people's wrists. Um, I'm not as hard on Rolex. Maybe I think as some people might, I, I just, I don't, I don't think a lot of people are in the right position to sort of question some things about what they do. And quite frankly, they're doing things that are, you know, probably making them quite successful in their their endeavors. Uh, But as, you know, for what I'm interested in, what you're interested in for the purposes of this conversation, modern Omega over modern Rolex, you know, seven days a week, twice on Sunday.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think um, now what makes Rolex great as an entity is the stuff that we don't see and the stuff that we don't get to know what they do, really, you know, on the behind the scenes, the Willsdorf Foundation, all of the sort of the charitable charitable support that they provide to the industry, the sort of mutual R and D projects that we occasionally will hear whispered about. I'm sure all of that stuff is very important, and I'm sure it is very important. It's not to sell them short, but the product that's associated with Rolex now to me is just a lot less compelling. And it's not to say that these are in any way bad or that I don't no. like any of these models. I, I like a lot of them. It's just, you know, they're it's not as valuable to me in terms of my, my, I don't know, my mind and, and how I would associate different models, you know, with um, the hierarchy of, of importance in my head. The GMT master is kind of, a halo thing. I mean, that'll always be important to me. You know, when, when they have an eight digit GMT master, I'll probably be interested in it, yeah, but that sounds funny to say,
0: but, true. but that's um, really,
1: that's the only thing.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. And and I've heard people talk about this before and I, it really struck a chord at one point. I'm not, I don't work, you know, neither of us work for Rolex. And so I don't find myself, I don't find the need for me to be some sort of apologist for the brand. I'm not, there's no brand loyalist aspect to it for me. I like some things that they do and I don't like some things that they do. And I think that that's pretty normal. Um, Like any brand, you know, I think we're obviously painting Omega with a pretty positive, you know, brush right now. There's some things that, you know, don't really strike me. Um, But I think on the whole is what we're talking about, right? Modern catalog against modern catalog. Um, Omega's just sort of, you know, got the, the leg up right now we'll see how long that lasts. You know, I, I, I wish, you know, that they continue doing that. I think it's awesome the stuff that they're putting out. Um, obviously, like you said, the, the proof is in, in the, in the pudding, you know, what are the things that we're sort of after, what are the things that we're really thinking about every day? Um, and, uh, so, you know, it's quite clear how we feel about the, you know, those two vis-a-vis and I guess in some ways it's, it's, it's also more of a sort of like a kudos and a Bravo to Omega. Then at least the way that I think about it, less than, you know, sort of a, you know, a a better luck next time to Rolex kind of thing, you know, hey, Omega, do your thing, man. You're crushing it. Keep after it, right? Don't, you know, just, you deserve, you know, some, some sort of props. And, uh, and so that's how I kind of look at it in some ways. I think some people want to maybe, you know, be really high up on one brand or, or really, you know, kick another brand. That's fine too, I suppose, but that's just not how I look at it.
1: Yeah. I I think that's probably a good way to wrap that up, you know, um, and not to make this a bigger issue than it is. You know, I think a lot of people understand that we've been talking about the hype and avoiding hype and, and that sort of thing. And certainly there are brands that are not Rolex, you know, that are part of the hype train, um, you know, Richard Miller or whatever, that's clearly not, you know, where our enthusiasm lies anyway. But, uh, Yeah. I don't know. I think that is, it's just the realization I think that, that hit me like a ton of bricks when I was sitting there with Mike and just all of these amazing pieces. And again, uh, everything to my knowledge, everything that he had just at a quick glance was modern, you know, past five years.
0: Yeah. No, I think it was a, I think it was a very apt, um, observation. And I think it one that we hadn't talked about before your comment, but, uh, Sort of rang true, I think, with with both of us. And i would be curious. People should hit up the comments, you know, or 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 send us a message. Like, what are you thinking? Like, are we off base? You know, in terms of your your sort of uh, opinion of the of the matter, uh, are we missing something? Or you know, are we sort of too too gung ho? Or is there too many things? Maybe we're maybe there's some recency bias. Maybe omega maybe, maybe omega's just absolutely crushing it right now. Or maybe just not thinking, uh, you know, uh, holistically. So be curious what people's thoughts are on the matter.
1: Yeah, totally. Well, you know, hopefully people will hit us up and I'm sure we'll we'll probably get some comments from people who, uh, you know, listen and that we talk to back channel and that sort of thing, but that's what we think. So anyhow, hey man, I know um, both of us are, are up against a little bit of a schedule thing. Do you have any last minute final note type stuff, recommendation type stuff that you'd want to share?
0: Yeah, I, uh, there's been a couple shows you know Nat Geo you know via Disney plus continues to just really put out awesome stuff. Um, this is not new. I think a lot of people have been talking about it and, and loving it. but the, anyway, one of the newer ones I think um, was called uh, Explorer: the Last Tapui." Did you catch that one? I did not. Um, without you know going too far into it, I think um, Al Tonald um, is on an expedition with sort of a, 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 a biologist and a few other folks and they're trying to reach, you know, sort of this, you know, remote, uh, area. Um, uh, and, and, on top of that, it's not just an area, but like sort of this, this sort of, um, uh, you know, remote area within an area, I guess, you know? And, and so, you know, it's this sort of this huge face, this, you know, face of a, of a, of a, uh, um, uh kind of a a, a cliff i suppose or this you know and they call it an island in the sky because it sort of juts out from the landscape um and they're trying to get to you know to this um to sort of study you know uh, species that maybe exist that they didn't know you know live there and uh so you know this, this this biologist is quite old and they're trying to find a way to get him up there and uh you know without you know kind of burying the lead you know they're attempting to do this and it's a pretty you know, tr- dramatic expedition for this sort of old biologist. And uh, so there's some sort of, you know, expedition, adventuring, mountain climbing, you know, components to it. There's a biology and sort of, uh, you know, um, you know, identifying species kind of thing too. So it was really good, really great watch uh, much different than sort of the other kind of, you know, climbing docs that have been out recently. Um, but, uh, but also just very good and they continue to put out really good quality content, I think on that.
1: Yeah, I'll have to check that out. I I was an early adopter for Disney Plus, and I think I probably let that lapse, you know, over the pandemic. So I know that there's some new sort of Star Wars related stuff. I'll have to check that out. You know, I I joined for Mandalorian. <laughs> you know, I watched that, and I was like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot going on, so I've got to give that a whirl. I've been you know, pretty lazy and kind of just going back to old wells, um, for short watches and reads and stuff like that over the past, like two weeks, just because I've been under the weather, which usually is a good time to just, um, dive in and binge stuff. But because everybody in the household was kind of in the same spot, I kind of yield the TV, but, uh, I, I would second the, the recommendation from, you know, the other, uh, Tgn basically in the the other pods and and places that have talked about um, slow horses whether it's the book mm-hmm. which I've started mm-hmm. or the series which is excellent uh, Gary Oldman just absolutely makes that he's he, he's so like deliciously contemptible in the early episodes you just you you hate him for the other characters. So anyway, again, I know that's not really our recommendation. Somebody else suggested it, but, um, if you heard their suggestion and hadn't checked it out yet, you know, the guys at tgn they know what they're talking about. Go, go look at slow horses. Um, that is an Apple TV thing. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. You can, you can kick your feet up and have a whiskey right before close of business. Uh, because that's what Gary Oldman does. And he farts a lot. <laughs>
0: That's not a good enough, uh, uh, recommendation that I don't know what is.
1: Yeah, totally. That's it's guy stuff. Hashtag guy stuff, dad stuff.
0: Cue it up. Um, I'll check it out. I've heard now a couple times now as well. So like you said, when you hear it several times, you know, it's probably worth firing, uh, firing up the old, uh, (sighs) streaming content.
1: Oh yeah. There's it's it, at this stage, right. I mean, there's almost, there's too much that's out there. Like in a way it's just too hard to follow everything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I need, um, I know some of the services aggregate all of the subscriptions you have so you can search things without having to go into the individual apps. I really need to find a way to do that because otherwise it does get overwhelming. You forget where things are, but um, yeah, good recommendations, very different. Um, but hopefully, uh, people enjoy them. Hey, I'm going to
1: throw one more thing out there. I hadn't really thought of this. This is really more for you. Um, I don't think I've mentioned this to you before, but there's a, um, and I don't know who has it now. It's one of these things that was produced independently, and you know how sometimes one platform will host it, then it'll disappear for a year, then it'll be on the other platform, you know, then maybe on DVD or whatever. But um, I think this is just called one. You know, oh, O-N- uh, yeah, one, and it's essentially the story of the evolution of safety technology and stuff like that in in Formula One. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. And it's, uh, it's, I want to say it's probably like a 90 minute doc from maybe five to 10 years ago. And the voiceover is by Michael Fassbender. And it's, it's really cool. So, you know, it touches on the fact that, you know, I mean, up until fairly recently, you know, there was, there was this last, you know, catastrophic, um, casualty that everybody knows about, right. That's in everybody's sort of mind. And that's, uh, Ayrton Senna mm-hmm. when he died and, Technology was getting better, but at that point, they really kind of put the pedal to the metal (pun intended) on developing safety technology and having that be a, a real, um, a, a real sort of centerpiece of the design of the cars. And from his death and going backwards, you know, into the the fifties, you know, casualties and fatalities were basically a seasonal occurrence, like every single season. All right. Um, you know, somebody would get hurt and going back, you know, into the eighties and back into the seventies, every single year somebody would be killed, sometimes more than one. And, you know, when you this is these are not long seasons and it's not hundreds of drivers. It's like, you know, 18, 20, 25 people on a grid. And to, you know, to lose one every year, that's a big deal. You know, it's a dangerous sport. And then for two, three, f- three decades or or however long it's been, there have basically been No on track fatalities of drivers. Now that's not really true because there's there's been one or two other incidents, you know, with somebody off track or somebody who was injured and who later succumbed. Um but you know, considering how it used to be, it's it's much, much better. And it just gives you a good historical flair for what Formula One was really like in the sixties and seventies.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a good reflective um kind of point to especially if you're new to the new to the sport. So cool, man. I appreciate those are good, definitely great recommendations. Right on. Well, well dude, good it's to good to have you back on the in the saddle along with me here, man. For sure, for
1: sure. It is uh, it is nice to be back. Um, good to talk about watches. Hopefully, we'll be talking more about beer and watches in the coming weeks and months. The one thing about a barrel conditioned beer is it's going to lay down for a while, so we we might have it started, but we won't be able to, to taste it or drink it for quite some time. So we'll we'll let people know how it goes.
0: Yeah, plenty of lead time to build up some uh, excitement. Give some details.
1: Totally. Anyway, brother, I'm going to go ahead and hit the stop button here shortly. You have a good one. We'll make this our, uh, our proverbial rhetorical last sip. Cheers.
0: We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to rate us on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help. You can find us on Instagram at Spirit of time Podcast and contact us at spiritoftimepodcast at gmail.com.
1: As always, please drink responsibly. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.